Economics has been called the dismal science. And when I was in my first year of graduate school in economics, I found it so dismal, I went back to theater. But dismal as it is, it's necessary for us to understand what's going on in the world of finance if we can make any attempt to figure out what's being done to us and what we can do to solve it. So here's a look at Fed policy, the Federal Reserve policy, uh, from one of my favorite sources on the web, the Asia Times, the Asia Times out of Singapore. It's a wonderful newspaper, and they're one of the few places that will print material, often by American authors, that are are just too incisive and too complete to be handled by American newspapers. So I'm going to, I've edited this down so that you don't end up, you know, with eyes rolling up in the back of your head, but give a listen. There is arguably no greater danger to financial and economic stability than a central bank pushing cheap monetary policy by forcing interest rates to low levels with negative real interest rates and unlimited liquidity into the banking system. Loose monetary policy pushes credit, inflates asset and commodity prices, and leaves bankruptcies and economic and financial chaos in its wake. This is essentially the path taken by the U.S. Federal Reserve since 2001, the most hazardous monetary policy since its creation in 1913. I often thought it was weird that that our um, you know interest rates were at zero or 0.1 percent. How come money can be so cheap? One of the things it does is it lowers the cost of mortgages. So here comes the mortgage boom, right? The toxic mortgage boom. It also lowers the, the, the cost of borrowing money. So here comes the asset, the debt asset bubble. And the Fed made it possible. And of course, the Fed is politicized. It's run both by Congress and by the private banks, which are its members. But we, the people, so to speak, have little or no oversight. And in fact, when they, they pass that, part of the uh, Bank Reform Act that allows us to audit them at least in the, from the past, just the last, what, year and a half to find out how they were involved with the crash. Uh, the, the White House and the Congress were very careful not to let us audit it further, but that's coming. Okay, back to it. Uh, the Fed has given lessons in building and rebuilding bubbles. Yeah, I mean, you know, they make ivory soap look like an amateur. These are the bubble boys. The Fed has set interest rates to near zero bound, but put no limit on expanding its balance sheet and changed its procedures by purchasing long-term risky assets such as mortgage-backed securities and the consumer loan-backed securities that other major central banks, such as the European Central Bank, have so far resisted. So it is really basically the buyer of last resort, and it's been sucking up the junk. The Fed admonishes commercial banks for taking excessive risk, yet it does so itself without impunity. Risk does not appear to be an overriding issue for the Fed as it adopts whatever is needed to achieve full employment. Success seems to be measured by the rate of economic growth and employment and not by the safety of the banking system and financial stability. Failed banks are simply bailed out by the government printing press. The irony is that this policy did, in the short run, create some sort of prosperity, but it brought it all down in the mid-run. So it is a defective, it's an impossible, and it's a worthless policy, and they're still pursuing it. During the 2002-2004 period, the the Fed was oblivious to the consequences of its expansionary policies. Instead, it considered the ensuing economic boom as a glamorous success of cheap monetary policy. Then-Fed Chairman Alan Greenspan stated, 
We are enjoying now in 2005 a prosperity thanks to cheap money policy. Of course, he's gone, and so is the prosperity. The Fed would have never predicted the 2008 financial crisis, nor unemployment at 10%, the U.S. fiscal deficits at 13% of gross uh, domestic product, and the U.S. debt rapidly approaching 100% of GDP. Our debt is going to equal what we produce, and soon, like Greece, it's going to be over 100%. The Fed was only interested in the boom and the false prosperity that such policies had created. The relationship between cheap money policy initiated by the Fed and the Greek debt crisis may look remote, but in fact, it is a tight one. Flush with liquidity, U.S. and European banks lent to subprime borrowers as well as to sovereign borrowers, foolishly believing that with the advent of the euro, Greek credit was the same as German credit. There is never lack of borrowing as long as money is available for lending. By setting interest rates to near zero bound and forcing cheap liquidity, a central bank is fostering two goals an economic boom, and speculative bubbles. It has decided to ignore the safety of the banking system and the consequences of the financial chaos, with bubbles bursting and an inverted credit pyramid when the house of cards falls apart. In fact, that's what happens. Cheap money has promoted the Ponzi financing, speculation, and swindling, as illustrated by the Bernie Madoff finance scandal. Very low interest rates caused credit to expand to a record ratio of 350% of GDP in the U.S. and to record levels in a number of other industrial countries. Consumers in the U.S. afforded abundant credit spent far above their incomes thanks to debt. U.S. household savings ratios fell to zero. And national savings became negative during 2005 to 2007. Savings rate. How much do you save of how much you make? Normally, the normal savings rate is somewhere around 2 to 3%. Japan, which was, is very conservative, sometimes as high as 5 or 6%. To be at 0% or negative means you're no, not only not saving, So you're not protecting yourself in the future. You're in the hole and going deeper. And the problem is, is that we have an economy that takes that debt and calls it an asset. The U.S. economy was able to grow only because it was able to borrow from abroad. The same pattern held in Greece and elsewhere, leading households and governments to borrow and run excessive deficits. Concomitantly, demand for goods was soaring worldwide and so was employment. And surprise, the world economy grew. But cheap monetary policy created immense distortions and large income and wealth redistribution. Certainly true in the U.S. The haves and the have-not live further and further apart. Very low and negative real interest rates created a housing boom and fired housing prices and a speculative euphoria in the U.S. and elsewhere. The housing market was largely financed by Ponzi financing. Borrowers can service their mortgage only when the home prices kept rising and equity loans became available for servicing mortgages. It was that home equity money that went out and bought all the other stuff on credit. The bursting of the housing bubble led to bankruptcies, millions of foreclosures, homeowners losing their savings, becoming drowned in debt, And with many underwater, the federal government in the U.S. had to spend billions of dollars to subsidize homeowners to service their mortgages, and still the housing crisis is unresolved. We've got to put a stop to it. I know it's difficult. It means we're going to have to literally cut back on our credit. We're going to have to get more from less. Again, as I say, it's a spiritual challenge. 
And I believe that we have the wherewithal to make it happen. I hope so. Otherwise, the Hopi prophecy that I was told in 1966 when I was up there in Haute Villa, the traditional village in um, Arizona, when one of the elders turned to me and said, come the purification, half of America will die on their hands and knees of a broken heart. I certainly hope that never comes true.